Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. So this week's guest is Mike Monick. So Mike is the CTO for DroneSec, co-organizer of the very popular InfoSec community event, SecTalks, and is heavily involved in the InfoSec community. And to be honest, just a really, really good mate of mine. And Mike, I'm very thankful to you for, well, all your support over the years. And it's amazing how, I guess, we came together in the first place. You're a very humble guy and very helpful to so many and i definitely appreciate what you do and it's great to have you on today oh thanks a bunch ricky appreciate that and likewise you know i mean i I still think back to when we first met and one of the times we were probably playing fifa (laughs) in my apartment (laughs) talking business names and and that kind of thing about you know you had a grounding for what you wanted to see in the cybersecurity community and, and helping people and so forth so it goes both ways so thanks for having me on here and thanks for any listeners who are taking the time out of their day to to have a listen so I guess I can share a bit of background history about myself. On a very high level, you know, I, lo- I love my drones. I love open source intelligence, building CTFs, and really kind of traveling around for work. But to really get into how I got to drones, I'll, I'll go way back. So I grew up in South Africa. I was homeschooled. And when we came over to Australia, I was homeschooled as well and had a bit of time for the, the skate park, obviously. So I was doing that for some time, and I think I've shared this with you before, but broke a lot of bones during that time, a lot. Yeah. And so <laughs> during school, that was where um, you know my, my parents were quite hard on me, stopping the physical activities and getting more into to computers and things like that. And I already had an affinity for, for computers, you know, traditional kind of game hacking, exploring rainbow tables, just messing around with tech, building stuff, website servers, you name it. And then, you know, as I went into a an, an actual or a, I guess a normal school, as you'd call it, that's where I started messing around a little bit more with security or, or tech. Got in trouble for building a, a tall relay node in in my school, but my my focus at the time was really, you know, everything to do with OSINT, really Bellingcat style stuff, playing in CTFs, and that kind of eventually led me to to university. So. That was back at Deakin. It's actually where I met my my wife, Fedora. I remember going into the class and thinking, like, her name is an operating system. <laughs> and that's where I, I founded the Deakin Information Security Club back then as kind of a way to practice for Cisco, some of those big kind of competitions that came up and a way of really honing skills that were more for, for hands-on hacking or pen testing rather than just the, the really theoretical side of it. Leading after that, it kind of went, I went back to my old school and and did some work there. And I've actually, I've mentioned this a few times because it's, I was quite young at the time and it was a good opportunity to just, you know, for teachers who came with you for hard drives or USBs they had misplaced or laptops that had gone stolen. It was a good place to practice, you know, basic level forensics and practice, you know, vulnerability scanning of the, the entire network and, you know, response to certain things and then having to present that to some of the, you know, the school execs, which weren't company execs, but it was a good practice level, you know, for someone who's 17 and, and really trying to get a hang of it. I thought it was a great experience. After that, I went through a short time at defense and then went back to university to 
study or do an honors degree. The honors degree was focused on gamification and CTFs and kind of supported myself teaching some forensics there. But the the key was someone who came and talked to Deacon and uh, it was Dr. Malcolm Shaw. He was speaking about IoT. Wow. Um, and obviously drones are, are within IoT. But after speaking to him for a little while, that's when he made some introductions and, and managed to get me a job at BAE Systems. So that was applied intelligence. And the initial kind of start there for me was to try and build up some of the CTFs practice for Crest and some of these certifications. But it kind of naturally led into pen testing. And it was, you know, it was a terrific team. Like what what you'd call an all-star team for trying to learn and be a, a junior at that time and trying to really work my way up. So I thought that was that was awesome. And that is kind of where, you know, I had a, a conversation with one of the head principals there. I'm sure you know Eldar or, or Wargul. <laughs> And I remember him saying, you know, you need one focus in security. You've got to have a specific something that you can be good at or, or try to focus on. And, you know, I came up with some ideas that were definitely not drones. And it, it really wasn't what I thought it would be, but it at least gave me an idea of coming up with some kind of research project or focus that isn't just your basic web apps and, and internal network pen testing and so forth. So it wasn't my project at the start. It was actually, you know, a research project that was going on at the time. But as I started liking drones more and getting into that area, that's where drones started coming up. So that's really the background to it and, and how it started with security and led into it. But overall, you know, I've been part of, of the Melbourne InfoSec kind of community for a while. I enjoy it here. No plans to, to move yet. And pleasure of knowing, you know, people like yourself and others in the community here. Well, that's a that's a nice nice backstory there, and it's it's interesting you mentioned about that sort of focus that Eldar advised you on. We we did a, a conversation or podcast a few weeks back, and that's yeah. I guess he's still sharing the same advice, but it's, <laughs> it's 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 incredibly valid. You know, it's really good to have a focus and and become specialist in something. Yeah, absolutely. Don't underestimate the power of of words, especially to juniors in the industry or, or people trying to learn. You know, what you say is really really valuable to them that we they can kind of take with them for life. You know. So yourself, obviously, you've gone through you know universities, then become a full-time pen tester, working at a couple of companies. You leading the the red team for Privisec in Melbourne. So how how have you gone from I guess that sort of side interest to actually now running DroneSec as a business? Because that's quite a big step. Yeah, sure. I'll um I'll go through that. I guess the the key thing that started was you know I was trying to balance things like OSCP with the drone side, which was just an interest at the time. So full time pen tester didn't want to do anything else in life except for pen test. And so you know one of the key things was that I wanted to document all the attacks for drones and all the techniques, all the different things that were happening to drones. And that was just something that I didn't see much room already for in the industry. There wasn't much of that. So I actually started documenting some of these on a, a subreddit, funnily enough. Like it was it was quite literally just a subreddit that was trying to come up with hardening guides or attack measures or frameworks to actually pen test drones. But it really kind of grew into a website. You know, I started a website on it and we were getting some good traction. You know, at one point it was getting kind of 5K hits a month. You know, sometimes it would be better and worse. Putting frameworks up there and some news article would hit and we'd get, you know, 15 to 30K page views. So it was it was awesome. At the time, the the Google AdSense kind of helped, especially since, you know, I was just feeding it from my, my current job. So keep in mind that at the time it was just an information base that that's really all it was with some kind of practice around drones and, and hacking into them but i started realizing you know obviously there was the cybersecurity aspect of them and then there's the other 
aspects, which is you know counter drones. So you look at SDR or RF manipulation, Wi-Fi best attacks, reversing the drones. You start realizing there's a lot more to it than just your typical drone security for cybersecurity. You've also got the nets and the birds and all the other kind of things that can take down drones. So I started expanding a little bit of of the knowledge on that from the website itself. And after some time, I even had guys from you know who were giving DefCon talks or participating in the DefCon CTF. And they were like, you know, hey, can I write an article for your website? Or can I reference your website in, in this article? Or can I tell someone about it? And so the the key thing there was that was simply just a, a website itself. But I started getting these, I guess, business interests or, or leads, as you would call it, which I didn't realize back then, asking <laughs> me a lot of questions. So being young and dumb, probably, I just gave this out for free. Like I would never charge at the time. I would just, you know, give advice or hop on calls with companies. And when it got to some pretty decent companies, then I realized, you know, it could be more than than just that. So I was on, you know, roughly sixty five thousand a year in terms of salary. <laughs> and so I made the decision to just chuck five hundred bucks each month into a, a a new kind of company bank account. Try to fund some some casual hires, both here in Melbourne as well as overseas, to just either write. Content content or guides or try to chat to these companies for me because I was doing full-time work at the time to try and, and guide them on that. So that was the kind of initial side of things. When it turned into an actual business was a little bit different. So I guess there was a, a huge blocker in my mind about turning it into business because it could get in the way of my, my technical learning. And I felt a huge amount of resistance to it as well. And this is something that I've, I've talked about time and time again, is this one book that was really useful at the time, which is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And it always talks about resistance as the thing you should be doing or the thing that is most important. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give this a go and see what happens. So I bit the bullet, chucked a few hundred bucks into an ABN, an ACN, actually stood up a business name for it, but did at the time, you know, when I was with BAE, you know, try to work with them on that. And being part of BAE, you know, you get meetings with an incredible tier of, of customers. And so I got to see counter drone demos for the, the Commonwealth Games. I got to, you know, see tenders that were coming out for the latest cybersecurity aspects of counter drones. That was all really cool. But, you know, at the same time, I made sure I signed some of those clauses so that if DroneSec didn't go ahead at BAE, I could take it with me in the future. Very smart. Yeah, it's it's an important aspect. And I, I think there was some good, I got some good advice from people in the industry, some of my mentors and, and things like that. And, you know, from, from that point onwards, it was kind of a, a side business or a moonlight. So, you know, I went to 99designs and I gave them a bunch of my, my paper drawings of logos. And I was like, please make me a, a cool, you know, business looking logo. I purchased more software, bigger servers. I, I purchased some, you know, podcast tools to, to you know, do the drone safe podcast itself. But in, in about end of 2017, I, t- I faced a really tough decision. And I actually think we, we chatted about this on length. I honestly think, were we talking 2017? I think we were, Ricky. Yeah. Because that, that was when I was finishing up at BAE and I was really kind of going through that whole, do I take DroneSec on its own and run with it full time or do I keep pen testing? I actually think you gave me some of, some of the greatest advice during that time. And, you know, some of the issues were, I think it was, I was around 22. I was about to propose to my, my now wife, Fedora. <laughs> so I needed the money, but I also wanted to make sure, you know, I didn't feel confident in my abilities to try and run a, a business 
by myself without any of those those connections or long-term technical experience and so forth. So I, I did sign on with Privisec and I was their first Melbourne-based kind of technical hire and, and they wanted to build up a red team over here. Don't get it confused. Red team is the Privisec red team, but it, it also does red teams, but it's it's not a red team. So it can be a, a bit convoluted. But long story short, I, I did sign up with them. And in about 2018, Privisec acquired DroneSec from me. So that that really started the slow burn of responsibilities shifting from managing the Privisec kind of red team style of things to getting to the drone security branch, specific to drone security for, you know, under the Privisec group. So to give you a bit of a timeline indicator, up until October last year, I was still balancing DroneSec with technical engagement, so wearing two hats. And then from early October, we started hiring some full-time employees between Melbourne, Sydney, and, and Singapore. And that's where you know I started focusing on from an executive manner. And we're now, you know, we're still a, an independent company in terms of DroneSec PDY LTD, but we operate under the Privacy Group. And what that has allowed us to do is, you know, really go into that uh, threat and tell that you know we'll talk about a little bit the technical assurance testing. We've built a threat and tell platform just for drones itself. And it's been interesting, but that's that's really what I've been able to achieve with help rather than trying to go it alone. So I don't know what that would have looked like, to be honest, but I know looking back, reflection is a great thing. So we had that conversation then and, and to see how it's changed is, is always really good. Yeah, I guess now you've got the sort of or, or, or been given that infrastructure and platform and opportunity to really progress as opposed to trying to balance everything which is yeah i guess there's, there's no perfect way to do it but it sounds like again things are very much in a good position right now yeah exactly it's it's really hard when you're you're trying to preempt what might happen right so there's a, a lot of scenarios that go through your mind like will i be able to support it financially by myself you know should i take out a, a loan for something like this should i let someone else take care of that and then there's also the whole idea of should i treat it like a startup should i i try to go to vcs and and those kind of thoughts were always crossing my mind but it's worked out really well this way because there's a hidden beauty of being able to tap into a pre-existing business, utilize all the learnings they've had and apply it to a different area or a new vector such as, as drone security. So that's where it has been super helpful. It has helped the business grow. You know, we've got we've got a client in the US which is focused on on drone forensics and you know counter UAS analytics. And that's something where I don't think I would have been able to have that that reach or be able to do that globally if it wasn't for for pairing with a, another company. So yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I look back and it's been a, a positive experience. Yeah, I, I know what it's like running a business and wearing a few hats. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So obviously now, now you're fully involved in, in running and uh, yeah, I guess uh, DroneSec is, is a, you know, a standalone sort of drone security business. But what, what does the industry actually look, look like in general out there? Sure. Okay. So this is a this is a loaded question, but we can probably take it at a few angles. In general, there's a lot of people who thought the you know drones would be dropping deliveries as the main kind of use for drones. But realistically, we've seen a whole lot of changes. But if I was to really summarize it into one, it would be a giant melting pot of the hobbyist scene kind of merging into this new enterprise use, right? So you've got enterprise uses of critical infrastructure, scanning, you've got 3D modeling, you've got 
in Queensland, some of the forensic crash investigators just have drones attached to their motorbikes so they can go on site, take a quick look at what the crash has been and take a 3D model. We're seeing more and more interconnected UTMs, so UAS traffic management systems. Think smart cities like Singapore trying to have multiple drones flying around. The the delivery side is just one aspect, and I think that's something people focus on. We, we are in the business of drone security, so you're talking your stadiums, airports, prisons, you know, facing an absolute deluge of threats by drones. So dropping contraband, dropping mobile phones, narcotics. And if you step into the the cybersecurity side of things, you get all the data and privacy security issues or concerns. So, you know, can can our DOD or can our, our law enforcement utilize drones where those that telemetry data or the data stored on those drones may be potentially leaked out to another country facing, you know, sovereign data jurisdiction issues, or could it be modified or hijacked midair to actually cause an accident or, or something being being done illegally on the far east with it? So, I mean, it's a super exciting environment. There's no doubt drones are one of those things that we are seeing as enablers and, and innovative, saving lives, you know, <laughs> Having a, having a drone on the side of a beach to go and spot you know a drowning swimmer is much better than trying to trying to lift up a heli with petrol usage pilots all that kind of thing to go and do that on a regular basis for a bunch of you know false positives so you're seeing efficiency you're seeing a lot of traction in in enterprise uses but you're seeing these security concerns so that's what we're we're focused on and we're focused on baselining them as a you know a threat actor what's actually happening because the drones aren't bad it's the really the people behind them just like yeah. anything in security and those those cyber security concerns are a main one for us but we also work with with counter uas and that's the whole deal of can we have a piece of hardware or a piece of software that sits at a perimeter and protects or defends against commercial off-the-shelf drones as well as potentially larger drones and remember when we're talking drones it's uas uav rpas you know whatever kind of names you want for it but that's really a snapshot of the industry but it probably is better told through through some stories and and some kind of things we've seen that might help help you understand really what kind of innovation the drones are at okay i guess for yourselves what, what keeps you guys busy oh yeah there's uh there's a lot but i'm glad you didn't just come up with the bunnings <laughs> sausage incident we're, we're <laughs> not responding to uh bunnings sausage incidents on a daily basis yeah we so we we see a lot, we respond to a small amount of that. So by seeing a lot, you know, we do categorize and log a lot of those drone incidents on a on a daily and weekly basis. And there's some pretty interesting stuff we've seen. So I'll go through it, but also you, you may be interested in some stories that we haven't responded to ourselves, but might give you a glimpse of what is going on in drone security, if, if that's something you're interested in, Ricky. Would love to hear. Okay, cool, cool. So... Typically, when people think about drone stories, you know, you might hear your, your regular Joe stuff like dropping the contraband into prisons or attaching a Wi-Fi dongle for long-range Wi-Fi hacking, that kind of thing. But there are some really interesting use cases which people haven't been thinking of, which I can, you know, kind of tell you, which join that whole low proximity of a drone flying with the fact that it's kinetic, it has, you know, IT internals in it, and it can kind of fall out of the sky. So the, I guess one really interesting case I saw in Russia was a journalist was getting raided for the, the fact that he was doing some research on the Russian government. And in a typical case, when you're getting raided by the, the FSB, you would put your hard drives into a microwave and, and try to fry them. Not always the most efficient way of doing things. But what this guy ended up doing was he had a drone with a, a carrying mechanism and he ran and grabbed his hard drives, chucked them on the drone, 
drone and his drone had an auto flight set out to immediately fly to his, his mate's house where he, he would secure the, the hard drive himself. So the moment the FSB actually raided the place, this drone just buzzes out of the window, wow. saves the hard drives. There's not a single trace. And, you know, obviously they didn't have the evidence to, to put the guy away. So I think that's, that's interesting. It shows a different way of really being able to remove uh, an item or, or an artifact without any kind of trace. There's also some uses that we've seen for specifically for bad, but are again really innovative, and that's what I want to keep, you know, putting at here is, is these things are super innovative. So a few weeks ago in in Guatemala, for example, they have discovered that some of the cartel members have been landing planes completely blacked out with no lights whatsoever, straight into you know extremely small strips of landing pads in the forest, and they couldn't understand all the all the jungle. Should I say they couldn't understand how they were able to do this until they realized that without having any lights on the ground, the cartel members would fly several drones up, kind of guiding the way for the runway, and just have lights that point to the sky so they won't be able to see from the ground. And so as the plane is coming in for landing, completely lights off, they see an, a fully illuminated runway when really it's just a number of these drones at, at you know a few meters apart down the runway, and they can land in the jungle, offload the narcotic, narcotics, and take off again. You know, almost completely without any kind of any kind of visual. So, I thought that was pretty innovative. A- another one that we've seen, and something that we've analyzed, is the fact that you know, with these Teslas or vehicles that have, I guess, driver-assisted visual learning mechanisms, so that the Tesla vehicle will maybe see a 60 speed sign and they'll go 60 kilometers now, or they'll see a stop sign and they'll like put on the brakes and one one israeli researcher they took a drone and they put a a mobile projector on it and as a car would pass under an underpass they would shine the projector onto the side of the underpass with like a stop sign and if the car was already going 60 k's an hour suddenly the machine learning accident avoidance tech you know technology would see the stop sign or the the 20 kilometers an hour and slam on the brakes of the car or it would cause it to even go faster if they were on auto drive and they they put the speed limit as you know 150 so pretty pretty crazy stuff the things you can do with it there, there was another one and it's tell me if i'm just kind of you know, giving you a, a deluge of of <laughs> of incidents here but i just find them extremely interesting oh, so they're fascinating okay so there was this one issue in, in China as well, where a local gang started dropping pieces of meat infected with bird flu into pig pens to try and influence the sale price by actually removing a lot of the, the pigs from their competitors. So the pigs would eat the bird flu meat, and that would cause them to get sick and die. And so the, the price of pork would go up. And so this happened for some time, and they were using drones again with dropping mechanisms so that you know they're disconnected from the, the device, can't find the, the pilot. And as a result of doing that, you know, some of these pig farms, one particular one that was located near an airport, purchased a counter UAS piece of technology, right, right, which had a a GPS GLONASS jammer. And when they started getting signal disruption to some of the small planes that were taking off from the airport nearby, they realized it was because this pig farm was sitting there trying to block drone signals (laughs) that they were were ending up doing both. So law enforcement arrived and, and took that away. So that, you know, pretty pretty novel techniques. And it, it can get pretty dark as well. I, I do want to just say, you know, especially for any listeners from New Zealand or, or affected by the, the incident there, this is probably a, a trigger warning area. So you may want to shut it off for the next kind of, you know, maybe two to three minutes or, or skip ahead. And this includes the, the following story. So it can be a bit violent. But the, the key thing when you come back to the cybersecurity angle of things is that 
you know, when they raided the Christchurch mosque terrorist's house, one of his devices that they found and did forensic evidence on was a drone. And they managed to find either being via the telemetry data or the actual visuals that he had actually flown his drone over the mosque shortly before for the attack. So he had mapped out and surveilled the area in order to help him, you know, do that surveillance for potentially an escape, something like that. And it, it's a really sad story, but it just goes to show, you know, the uses by by criminals and nefarious operators. It's not just a, a cool factor anymore. Now I'll, I'll touch on that, you know, in terms of the red teaming, but it really is this device that allows you to take really high quality footage of an area uh, and use that for nefarious purposes. So that that's an unfortunate one that I want to bring up. The other, which which will kind of stay under that that trigger warning, is the fact that you know it's a bit of a, a fail here. But there was an ISIS member in Syria who attached a, a mortar to a drone, and when you let drones fly, obviously they have a return to home function. Most of the new ones, and that means that if the battery level gets a really low level, it's going to return back to its home position or where it took off from. And so the problem here was that. The, the guy actually had attached the mortar, forgot to charge the drone. The drone took off, had low battery, returned back to his house, midair, ran out of battery, fell down on him, and actually killed the, the guy completely just by having that mortar attached. So technology in these drones allows some really, really weird things to happen as well. So there's, there's so many things we can go through, and, and I'll say that's probably the end of the, the trigger warning there for any kind of listeners, but... It's, it's an incredible, innovative space. There's people using it for many uses, not just your your kind of, you know, they're really cool, but your danger drone or your, your drone hacking stuff. There's, there's a whole space beyond that, which has a lot of cybersecurity elements and aspects to it. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company, where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send, on average, two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. That's fascinating. Yeah, wow, okay. And I guess with, with all of these developments and I guess the industry has, has evolved pretty quickly over the last two, three years. And as you sort of sort of alluded to, there's, there's a lot of, I guess, multi-use and, and a lot of innovation. What do you think, I guess, the future looks like for drone security as an industry? Yeah, good question. This is a really interesting space. I, I don't know if you know this, Ricky, you know, Kaspersky, the, the antivirus company, they actually yeah. have a, a counter drone system of their own. Okay. And even BlackBerry, who you know owns Silence, they're working yep. with some counter drone customers and as well. So it's a space where we're seeing these these giant antivirus and, and threat intel companies starting to actually get into this area because drones are becoming so interconnected. Right when you when you have a counter drone program, you often choose the IT or the IT security department to look after that space. And if it involves you know, protocol manipulation or reverse engineering of the wireless protocols for the drone, then you start involving your security team or your hackers. So you're, you're talking about the future for drone security. It really is the future for kind of UAS cybersecurity. It's like a combination of the two. But the one of the key things we're seeing is, you know, drones are really becoming a, a tool of the adversary when we're not talking about the good 
innovative side. They are being used as adversaries. You know, they use them for surveillance and reconnaissance. And so, you know, many red teams, I think in the future, especially, you know, the cybersecurity companies will not just look at them as a, a cool factor to do that, but as this is a literal threat. It's part of their threat landscape. How can we reenact a drone that may also have digital capabilities, but a drone that is trying to surveil a, a premises that you are also doing a red team for? So it, it comes under you know, a threat actor and a threat actor using it for a certain use. And so we're going to see more and more companies you know, trying to replicate that, create adversarial simulations and figure out how to protect against that same threat. And this, this is probably times 10 for you know your your prisons stadiums airports and, and critical infrastructure typically they've done a lot of hostile vehicle mitigation operations to stop you know rogue vehicles or trucks and, and things like that this will probably now start including drones for the better part of it and because they are so interconnected if you if you stick your counter drone system into the the i guess what you would call your seam or your perimeter security management solution you're going to need cybersecurity controls on top of that and if you look at it from a red team perspective and i can talk about counter counter drones all day but if if you want to bypass a drone a counter drone system the best way is to break into it either by hacking into it or by utilizing other some other kind of counter drone mechanism to prevent the counter drone system from working and a good way to do this is obviously find their endpoints or their dashboards that they're using because they're connected to the internet take those down or find a vuln in there and prevent them from actually utilizing the counter drone system and then you've got free reign so you know simulations need to take part on on both of those sides and another one you know more and more conversations we're having these days is organizations who come to us and say we've got a really large drone or we're bringing a drone with a we're making a drone with a larger payload which means more dangerous explosive and gas payloads potentially to the point of if you want to think blue sky thinking you know if an eighty thousand dollar drone can lift a, a small person at, at you know 50 60 kgs you could quite literally put a drone into a prison and lift a person out not uh. so not <laughs> so distant from the um the greek prison escape of the the helicopter i think it was trickle prison you know someone took a helicopter pulled him out but then you've got a registered vehicle you've got a flight plan you've got a, a helicopter that's worth fuel and money and pilots and it, it increases your your surface of being caught. And that's the whole thing about drones is they're so easy to purchase. They're so easy to make anonymous. They're so easy to bypass these protections. And so if you can use a, a good drone for that, then you know that's a good opportunity for, for the bad guys. So this is where, in terms of the future of drone security, these manufacturers are asking, can you make sure there's software and hardware protection you know, modules or mechanisms to prevent use by bad guys. And if they do use it for bad, you know, how can we actually identify it? So it's, it's used for investigation and enforcement. Ah, that's, that's really interesting. And I think just sort of on that note about sort of governments and, and things like that, I saw a couple of weeks back about the sort of, let's say, tensions between US and China, which are, I guess they're in different ways. But I didn't realize that sort of US part of the government have sort of banned the use of DJI drones, and they're looking to expand that as well. Yes. So this is a, a major aspect of it, especially the, the privacy concerns. And without getting too political here, there really is the a big tug of war between not just hobbyists, but also the whole China versus USA drone side of things. So it's really interesting. And this is just me saying facts, not necessarily realities, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, not necessarily my own opinion here. But there's been some interesting use cases where firms will go and analyze some of these Chinese made apps and find 
you know, things that relate to privacy concerns. Some of them very real, some of them, you know, that's where I'll leave you to do your own investigations. <laughs> and sometimes there's drones that also come out that are built in, in the US or built in other parts of, of Europe or, you know, uh, APAC that coincide with releases of some of these reports. So that's quite an interesting angle is are drone manufacturers playing a bit of a proxy war by releasing results about each other's apps and privacy concerns at the same time as their drone launch and then trying to you know say they're safer or not that's been an actual interesting kind of i guess you would say discussion point in it so far but it's a real concern because you know you, you know we've actively taken part in some of the the dji bug bounty program as well as some of the other utm and, and drone manufacturer security programs and some of the stuff we've found will, will blow your mind right you can find out who's you know, which law enforcement have actually purchased what types of drones and what software versions they have, where those drones have been. You know, we've found vision of drones that are meant to be in sitting in a court for law enforcement, and yet they're sitting on a, an S3 bucket out there. So those types of things are super, super important. And when you're being, you know, when you're utilizing drones for DOD or, or the military, you cannot have that telemetry or that vision or audio going anywhere else but our, our sovereign borders. So super important aspect of it, of course. And I think that also goes to the fact that right now there's a, a big roadblock in the drone enterprise industry, which is some organizations need to use the innovations of drones, but they can't because they they want to get technical security and risk assessments done before even utilizing them, right? So their, their risk profile says we can't use drones for our construction industry because we don't know how safe it is. And this is something that you know I've actually chatted to a few people about, but the UK has the the Crest Assure certification, which is aviation based, and it's a specific to the UK Aviation Authority. But it does go through some of those kind of concerns, and it would be useful to have over here in, in APAC as well as a security firm to be able to do those assessments, especially when you have you know a company that creates their own drones or, or customized drone solutions and they want you know a, an accredited framework and testing method methodology to go and do that so that's one thing we're, we're working on which is just you know quite interesting uh, outside of that i would say the the last two of the future of drone security one would be swarms so your coordinated drones that are together and being able to act in, in a certain way those are on the forefront of a lot of customers' minds and obviously just counter UAS. So that's that's your whole, you know, if you break into a certain system, you might be able to fly a drone in Central Australia. How do we stop that from happening and how do you prevent that drone from from doing nefarious things at places it shouldn't? So it's, uh, it's going to be a very interesting industry. Of course. <laughs> it's a fun one to be in and I'm glad we've been trying to, you know, study it and understand it for some time. We're still trying to put together some frameworks for it because it's it's so new, but I just can't stress enough how closely related it is to cybersecurity or IT in general. You know, your your fleet of drones is very similar to an enterprise network. So I would I would just say absolutely see the correlation between them. And if you're not kind of opening your your firm out to those possibilities. I, I see a few firms focusing on automotive security when it comes to drone security, not so much. And they've got to realize, you know, when you think drone, you actually have to think drone, counter drone and UTM or that that UAS traffic management side of things. It's, it's interesting. There's, a, there's a, I guess a lot of correlation, like you said, between drones and, and general cybersecurity or IT, whereas just like cybersecurity or security you can't just buy some tools and expect suddenly hey we're, we're secure now it sounds like you've got to be proactive with your measures and, and strategies absolutely 
yeah, there's a lot of research to do, but there's a, a lot out there already and some good people working on some some interesting stuff. If you, I'll, I'll probably provide you the, the resources if you want to put it together with the podcast, but there's some, some high-level reading material that you can do to really get across the similarities very quickly and how to do some of the security testing in this area. I got reminded the other week, and I still haven't done it, but someone was like, we need a, a you know, utilizing drones and red teams 101. Still haven't gotten around to it, but I, I think this will be a good motivation to get that out and just keep building on that community-wise. Yeah, I remember a friend of mine on, on a red team engagement last year. The, the client had never seen or heard of that happen before and was quite impressed with guess, the innovative use of, of technology. So it's, it's definitely coming together. Absolutely. So just sort of to try and wrap things up, but before we do, in terms of obviously the industry, it's evolving if sounds and feels like there's going to be lots of different opportunities out there for people. So from a sort of career perspective, obviously you, you've gone your own way down this path, but for people that maybe are hobbyists at the moment or, or people that are interested in drones in general, I guess, where would you see maybe the career opportunities for people to work in this space? Yeah, cool. Look, I can, I can speak from the security perspective of someone who also flies and has an interest in drones. In terms of straight drone hobbyists that don't have a security background or an infosec background i probably am not the the greatest person to weigh in there i I would say there are opportunities at the moment to get into the counter uas space especially if you can fly drones well but that's that's where i'm going to leave it for the the drone hobbyist side unless they want to start getting into (laughs) into security itself which is awesome my my whole focus is drone security so you know in terms of technology innovation those side of things they're a little bit to the side of what we do so what i would say is for any security professionals or people in in infosec trying to get into the area man there is there is a lot of room to grow and you know if you you can do something like a pen test of a a drone application and you can find a bunch of stuff that might seem normal to a normal pen test report but when you think about it in the context of a an unmanned system or a, you know a hovering laptop somewhere it really changes the the whole context so your risk matrix changes your your surface of the threat changes and the people who can utilize something that is mobile kinetic physical all those kind of characteristics it really changes so you know, if you're a security professional and you hear the AFL Grand Finals coming up, you instantly need to to start thinking about the fact that drones could pause the the entire game for it. And so, what are they doing about it? Well, they're trying to do risk assessments. They're trying to put in, say, geofences, and you know, try to, I, I guess, stop that kind of thing. So, how can that come from a, an infosec perspective is really important. So, I, I think I mentioned it before, but. There's, there's a whole bounty opportunity for, well, it's nefarious use, most of all, but for trying to bypass geo-fly zones or no-fly zones, you know, the, the protection mechanisms and drones that stops it from going to a certain area. And so if, if you have SDR or RF background, if you have an ability to reverse engineer a drone and, and modify some of these, instantly you can you know, contribute to some of that community. There's people out there who are trying to prevent that from happening, just as much as those who are putting out frameworks on on why it does happen and how we can increase that security. But I would mostly put it down to keep reading, continue reading drone incidents, try to look at what happened, a post-mortem of it, what was the incident analysis, are there any recommendations that include cybersecurity vectors, play around with drones you, you find, try to hack into them, try to hack into their, their wireless protocols, understand why they communicate or, or what, what the trade-off is between bandwidth and control to security. All of those things are, are really important. 
So I would just say keep reading. If you want to get involved in it, there's there's certainly a drone security community out there. Forensics and instant response to red teaming to you know what have you. That would kind of be my my main things. And outside of that, it would be if it's not drones, at least you'll you'll get yourself into something that is a niche or something that you can feel proud about being your core focus. That's you know, and that goes back to what I initially said. It may not be drones, but if you start on a journey of trying to focus on drones and suddenly you find yourself enjoying, you know, UTM systems or wireless protocols, then that part is done. And that's that's just the the whole the whole thing for me is focusing on something you love, being able to do what you love, and at the end of the day, helping people out from a client to a non-client perspective. Yeah, that's that's great advice. You know, if, if I'd have said to you five years ago that you'd be a CTO of a, of a drone company or a drone security company, I'm sure you'd have found that maybe amusing. Absolutely. Things change Things change fast, but they also change with experience. And I've, I've said it before, but one one good mentor can probably move you forward what you would learn in a year in you know three months, six months. And the same goes for, you know, really I, I put a lot of my stuff to reading books and, and talking to people like yourself, but people in the industry who know what they're talking about, keeping an open mind and, and never knowing, thinking you know it all, always trying to look for that that part that makes you uncomfortable and makes you feel like you don't know it. And yeah, you're you're right. Five years ago it was only the the initial thoughts were kind of coming together. So it was it was nowhere near what it is today. I, th- I think you make a really good point there in terms of uh, mentors and, and and knowledge and and to be honest, just opportunities. The, these things do not happen. You have to make them happen. Like I know you're an incredibly humble guy, but you put yourself out there so much to the community, and you know, you, you were all co-organising a security meetup. At, to be honest, with you such a young age, you know, having founded the security club over at Deakin and and done presentations all around the the world in different places and and lots of different involvement. I mean, you know, these things don't just happen, but they happen through lots of different things of being proactive and, and you'll never get or rarely get a mentor. I think just through, you know, again, doing nothing, you've got to put yourself out there and ask people, have conversations. And sometimes you'll just get along with people and, and they become friends or mentors and it sort of works that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hit the nail on the head. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I know my, my wife knows me better than anyone, but she would just say it's it's a sheer weird kind of just amount of curiosity that I have for the world, why things work and, and why things happen in a certain way. And if she has to pull me away from reading a, a new article or trying out a new tool on something, it's simply because my, my curiosity takes the better of me. And I think that's in the belly of all all hackers, but it really means that, you know, you put your hand up for, for anything within reason um, and try to get experience for things so that the next time you see something, read something, the, the dots kind of align and you start making small connections in your brain about stuff. So, you know, if a, if a new tool comes out for cybersecurity, I suddenly think in my mind, I'm like, how could this apply to drones for a meaningful reason? Or does it solve one of the problems we've had with one of our clients before? So just exposing, I think exposure is the most important. Keep exposing yourself to anything and everything, uncomfortable conversations, resistance to doing stuff, and just a, a matter of talking to people who have been there before, know best, just keep increasing your knowledge and, and writing stuff down. I make sure I have probably eight years of, of Evernote notes that just you know, keep building on my knowledge and I, I never try to let anything go unrecorded. Fantastic. Well, look, Mike, on, on that note, thank you so much for your time and really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. pleasure, Ricky. Thanks for having me and thanks to all the listeners for sticking around. All right, take care. 
thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.